Men, if you call every man your home for getting in, getting healthy, getting strong, and getting going, then we have a special ask for you. We need men like you to stand in the gap with us as we take back territory for God's kingdom with our new giving campaign. We're calling it the 12 for 12 giving campaign. And all it takes is $12 a month for 12 months. Now your commitment and donation will help us reach our 20 city goal with our Dangerous Good Conference in 2021. And we can't do this without your support. Now, if you haven't noticed, every man is on the move and we've been able to build an army of strong men that are choosing Jesus over the world. You know why? That's because of people like you that help our ministry thrive, especially in these difficult times. So will you join us and commit to donating $12 for 12 months? Every dollar equals change, not only in the men, but also change for the women, children, and communities connected to these men. Thank you in advance for your support and God bless. Welcome to the global live stream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold a spot in Luke chapter 10. We're finishing up this powerful series called The Inner Man. If you're joining us for the first time, you can always go back and look at parts one through four. We're in part five, but just by way of review, what we're talking about is how our inner journey uh, reflects our life story, that what's going on on our insides actually determine our life path and what happens on our outsides. And for the man of God, uh, the, inner, the inner journey is about Christ dwelling uh, through faith in, in your heart, his love deepening in your life, your soul, your inner person filling, right? And then that filling of Christ and his love displacing health and then your life transforming. That's the, the inner journey with the inner man, and that's what God wants to see happen in our lives. But then in part two, we acknowledge that, you know, our inner man has inner junk. How do you deal with that, right? How do you deal with sin and, and attitudes and things that displease God? Well, we got to do what Jesus says to do, which is to first clean the inside of the cup and get clean, on the inside. So we looked at spiritual blind spots, and then we looked at talking about dealing with those spiritual blind spots through exposing the lies and exposing the behaviors and coming clean with God by renewing our commitment to truth and repenting through confession. So part one, the inner man. Part two, getting clean in the inner man, getting the inner junk out. Part three was about interchange and how God's love changes us from an inner boy to an inner man. We stop living out of insecurity and immaturity through God's love, and we start living in security, solid, confident in God's love, and that love brings us into maturity. That is the inner change. But you know, that inner change through God's love, you're gonna experience an inner challenge. And then we talked about spiritual warfare, on the inner man and how there's a hacker of our soul and he seeks to get into our inner man and corrupt what's most important about the man of God, which is his security in God's love. And the goal of the hacker of your soul, uh, the devil, is to corrupt and pollute your understanding and self-perception rooted and grounded in God's love and get you not living in and out of God's love, but to corrupt that thought process and, and your thinking and get you living out of fear and living in fear. You know, so we talked about how to put up a firewall in your inner man to defeat the hacker of your soul. So part three was interchange, maturity, immaturity to maturity. Part four was the inner challenge. And now in part five, I'm gonna talk about what I call the inner chasm, all right? And it's between this and this, between your head and a head knowledge about God's love in your inner man and your heart and having an experiential knowledge. It's the separation and qualitative difference between knowing about God's love 
and knowing it in experience. And I think all of us wanna make that transition because you know there are a lot of Christians where they know about something in their heads, but they're not experiencing it in their heart. And that is super frustrating. It's like on a relational level, if someone asked me if I knew a certain person, they say, hey, do you know that guy? And I can have uh, one of three responses. I can say, well, no, I don't know him. Or I can say, I know about him. Or I can say, oh, I know him personally, and he's a close friend. And as it relates to uh, God's love, you and your connection to Christ, God wants a heart connection, not just a head connection, because there's a big difference, and I think you would agree with me, uh, between someone saying, oh, I know a lot about God, versus, oh, I know God in my experience. I know his presence. I know his work of love uh, in my life. You see, there's a difference in knowing about God and actually knowing him in experience. And the key measure of that is distance and detachment. That happens when we know a lot about God um, versus closeness and connection and transformation in knowing him in experience and knowing his love. You see, I wanna be really specific. God's love was never intended to stay in your head, all right? God's love is not a knowledge thing as it relates to your inner man, all right? It is a knowing that, that rises above lifeless knowledge and it turns into something that comes into your heart and is practical and experiential um, and it changes you forever. And I think that's where we all wanna be. That's why we're rounding out our series talking about this inner chasm between head and heart and as it relates to you and God's love. You see, this is a battle between your heart and your head that you gotta win to fully experience God in your life. So if you don't get anything out of part five, just get this. God's love is a fact, all right? But it is meant to be felt and experienced. God's love's a fact, but it's intended to be felt and experience. So we're gonna look at God's word, we're gonna look at some scripture, and then we're gonna kinda unpack it on this whole idea, right, of moving God's love from your head to your heart, knowing about God's love versus experiencing God's love. And the first passage of scripture that we wanna read is Romans 5, 5, and it says this, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love, listen, has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, all right? Let's look at our next scripture. We're gonna unpack that first one, but I wanna go through three scriptures, all right? So that was Romans 5, 5, about God's love being poured into our hearts. Let's look at the next scripture. Ephesians chapter three, verses 17 to 19 says this, all right? And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy, holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Right? That's passage two, talking a lot about the experience of God's love. Passage three is in 1 Peter 1.8, and then we're gonna unpack all three. 1 Peter 1.8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with, listen, an inexpressible and glorious joy. All right, so you got three passages from God's word talking about the experience of the believer with God's love. So let's just unpack it. If you have notes uh, that you've downloaded right off the, the website, you're gonna wanna take those out and take your pen out. Number one, experiencing God's love is an infusion process. That comes out of Romans 5, 5, where it says, and hope does not put us to shame. All right, so we're, we're dealing on an emotional level, okay? Because God's love has been poured 
into our hearts. So imagine you got a big picture, pitcher, and you're pouring it into something. And whatever's inside the container, whatever's getting poured in continuously is displacing what was in there previously, right? This passage of scripture is a picture of displacement. So God pours his love into our hearts, into our insides through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then we have this process of replacement and displacement, right? Reminds me of when I was a, uh, a chaplain on the seventh floor of Western Med in oncology. Um, I would work with patients and some cancer types responded very well to a therapy using what's called monoclonal antibodies. It is so cool how these work. But what they do is they take antibodies and they put chemotherapy inside of the antibody. Get this. Then they infuse it into the person who has a certain type of cancer. Those monoclonal antibodies enter the blood system and they begin to seek out cancer cells. They're, they're magnetizing to cancer cells. Then what happens is that the monoclonal antibody attaches to the cancer cell and this monoclonal antibody has chemotherapy in it. It attaches, it injects the cancer or the chemotherapy in directly into only the cancer cell, right? And then it eliminates that cell. So cool, resulting in an elimination of the cancer. Super cool. Now, why do I share that with you? Because God's love acts the same way. When God's love is infused into your life, it seeks out and it attaches to cancers of the soul, cancers of character, cancers in your emotions, right? And it attaches to it and then it infuses that, replaces it, kills those harmful wounds and those parts of you on the inside through his love and eliminates it. So the Bible says that experiencing God's love is an infusion process. Think of it as, as God's love infusing itself into your life and seeking out things to heal, to eliminate things and replace things and to heal you from the inside out. Number two, experiencing God's love is an internalizing process. And we pick this up uh, from the passage in Ephesians 3, where it says, and I pray that you being rooted and established, listen, in love may have power, that's the outcome, together with all God's holy people, how? To grasp, right? How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So when you think of somebody grasping something, right? You think of them, you know, seizing it, right? And this picture in God's word is all about seizing all that our faith in Christ and God's love has accomplished. So we have God's love, it's, it's poured into our hearts, and now what we're doing as believers in faith is we're seizing all that that love has accomplished for us, all that that, that love wants to accomplish inside of us, and so we gotta we got to go deep and we got to go wide in God's love. We got to go long. We got to we got to go high in God's love. And it's this process, right, of internalizing and grasping and comprehending all the amazing capacities and qualities of God's love. 3, we want to see that experiencing God's love is an intimacy process. So same passage, Ephesians 3, and he talks about grasping uh, the love of Christ and to know, key word, and to know, all right? That word know uh, is an intimate word, all right? It is ginosko in the Greek, and it means to not know it up here. It means to know it here. It's to be the difference between knowing about something or about someone and being familiar with it through experience. Again, here's that word, all right? So experiencing God's love is like an infusion, all right? It's an internalizing process. It's an intimacy process. And the Bible says here in Ephesians 3 that 
that, that God wants us to know this love that surpasses knowledge. See the compare contrast? Uh, it's not about the head stuff. This love of God, it's supposed to go in the elevator of your spirit and hit you in your inner man and accomplish all this work. And it's a, it's a personal thing. It's an intimate thing, which is powerful, all right? Next, we want to see that experiencing God's love is an invasion process. Same passage, Ephesians chapter 3, where it says God wants us to grasp the love of Christ and to know this love, intimacy that surpasses knowledge, that, here's the payoff, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So you see this filling aspect where it's just, it's soaking into you. It's, it's taking territory, filled to the measure, filled to the brim. It comes inside of you and it just starts displacing stuff. And there is this invasion, all right, of God's love in your life. And it's taken over because when something invades you, it takes over control, right? So we see how God's love is an infusion process. It's an internalizing process, right, of grasping, an intimacy process of knowing, an invasion process of filling us up. And then what's the result? Next fill-in. Experiencing God's love causes a shift emotionally or it's a sensing process, right? That's the passage from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to what it says. Again, it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. There's the catalyst. That's what triggers all of this inner change and work through God's love. You believe in him and are filled with what? An inexpressible and glorious joy. Wow. Okay. That means that whoever is filled up, whoever's getting infused with God's love, whoever is internalizing God's love, whoever is knowing God's love and becoming familiar and intimate with him, whoever is being invaded by God's love, there is a shift that God's love uh, affects inside of that man that produces this, an inexpressible and glorious joy. Wow, that's awesome. And there's a permanence to that joy. It's not a temporary thing. God, God dwells in the forever space. And when God moves and acts through uh, his forever love, man, it's inexpressible. It's glorious. You can never lose it. It's permanent uh, and powerful. All right. So as we've done in parts one, two, three, and four, here's your inner man fact flowing out of this head-to-heart discussion from God's word about what God's love is and how it works. Write this down. I work out emotionally what God has worked in spiritually, right? God has worked his love into us. He's poured it into our hearts. We're grasping it. We're knowing it. It's filling us. We're sensing it. That has an emotional inner effect on me. I'll give you an easy example. Uh, from my own life and probably thousands of you who are watching. You know, when I figured out that God accepts me unconditionally and permanently, uh, where I'm fully loved and I'm fully accepted by the one who matters most, I stopped being afraid emotionally of men or people rejecting me. Did you catch that? When I figured out that God accepts me unconditionally and eternally, I stopped fearing men rejecting me relationally. I stopped chasing their approval. I stopped comparing myself with other dudes or other people. And I started living for an audience of one. Do you see how I worked out? And you are too, I'm sure. If you're connected to God's love, you're working out emotionally on the inside what God has worked into you spiritually. He's telling you who you are. You're mine. I love you. I accept you. You're fully identified with me. And then emotionally, we stop living out of fear and we start living in and out of 
God's love. All right, so here's where we're headed now. Uh, if that's what's supposed to happen, if there's this unimaginable inner transformation where God's love is supposed to take us here, you know what's frustrating? What's frustrating is to know that that life and that process is available, but you're not experiencing it. And for sure, as we have talked about this inner man and the inner journey, the inner junk, the inner changes, the, the inner challenge and in spiritual warfare, there are some obstacles to experiencing God's love for you in your inner man. And that's what I want to go uh, next. And um, let's deal with four obstacles. And we, we get these obstacles from encounters that people had with Jesus, and he points them out uh, and, and raises them to where uh, the obstacle limits or thwarts uh, people's connection with Jesus and his love and all that he wants to do uh, in their lives and for them. And so let's look at the first obstacle. And the first obstacle to experiencing God's love for, for me is the obstacle, listen, of hurry connected to my priorities. I think everybody can agree that we miss out uh, on a lot in our lives and in relationships when we misplace our priorities. You know, as men, I think that's a daily challenge. I think uh, we can misplace our priorities on job and other pursuits, and we can miss the people very close to us uh, in our lives, just as a simple uh, example. But we do miss out on a lot in life and in relationships when we just get our priorities wrong. And I want to take us into the Gospels, and I want you to see uh, a situation where someone has misplaced their priorities, and Jesus points it out, and it's limiting that person's experience with Christ himself and his love. So let's pick up the story. In Luke chapter 10, this is the spot I told you to hold, beginning in verse 38. It says this, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one, Mary, has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Wow. See how Jesus confronted the misplaced priorities? Here, Jesus is present. Jesus is in the house, the Son of God. He has all of this love and wisdom and power to offer, and one person has chosen the right priority, and it's Mary. And where is she? She's sitting and she's listening. You could just say that she's, she's not in a hurry. She's not distracted. She has her priorities right. She's pressing the pause button on maybe a lot of other things in her life because Jesus is in the house. And so she's at his feet and she's listening to what he's saying and everything that he's saying is loving her. He has her best interest in mind. He's, he's sharing his heart for her, his wisdom with her, his life uh, with her. And then you just see Martha. And man, she is like a hurricane and frenetic and in a hurry. And man, Jesus is in the house and she doesn't recognize the fact that those other things that she's so focused on aren't so important when Jesus is in the house. And, you know, this is a, the literal come-to-Jesus encounter for Martha, right? And he says her name twice. And I don't know the tone in which he said it, but I got to believe it was something like, 
Martha, Martha. And then he just speaks truth. And he goes, man, you're, you're worried and you're upset by so many things. You think all these things are necessary, but then he says this, few, right? You're upset by many things, but few things are necessary. Indeed, only one. Mary's chosen what is better, all right? So there's the priority statement. She is physically and emotionally and spiritually positioned with Jesus. She's slowing down so she can get to knowing him. Martha, in contrast, is totally frenetic and a hurricane. And he just says, man, your sister's chosen what's better. She's got her priorities in line and it's permanent. Time with me, time sitting with me, dwelling with me, letting me love you, you loving me back, you listening, me talking, that's permanent, all right? Get your priorities right. Prioritize around what is permanent versus what is temporary with respect to uh, me. Now, we live in an age of epidemics distraction, right? We're so disconnected and atomized on our insides. We're a slave to our screens. Our priorities are grossly misplaced. We choose screens over people. We, we choose social capital over uh, interpersonal connection. You know, we choose image and social media presence over substance of relationship. And man, you just got to see that, that hurry uh, is not how you do a good relationship. Uh, quick and quality is an oxymoron. They don't go together. You can't have quality relationship with God and a quality experience of his love when you're always in a hurry. And I know right now that I'm speaking to some of you right now, uh, and there's, there's, a, there's an addiction that you have, and it's to your phone, and it's to social media, and it's to your screen. Now, I'm not saying that the tools are bad in and of themselves, but your inner attachment to those mediums of communication and social media is unhealthy. And it's impacting your relationship with God and people. You're distracted. And your soul isn't better for it. And so you have to do what Jesus is directly and indirectly saying. Stop and slow to know me, my love for you, rearrange your priorities, rearrange your schedule, put an alarm clock next to your bed versus your phone, start with my word in the morning versus your social media, carve out the time. You know, the word disciple is where we get the word disciplined from. A disciple is disciplined in slowing to know God. And as we slow to know God, we experience his love for us. But we gotta slow to know. So that's the first obstacle, the obstacle of hurry connected to my priorities. The second obstacle is the obstacle, listen, of shame connected to my past. Let's read from the Gospels a famous situation where they bring the woman caught in adultery. She is swimming in shame. They bring her to Jesus, all right? Let's roll the film and then we'll unpack it. Let any one of you who is without sin, Jesus replies to all the people who brought this woman in front of him, be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he was riding on the ground at this. In other words, when Jesus said, you don't have sin, throw the first stone. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So 
you see that Jesus is speaking to her assumptions. Uh, and he asks her a question that speaks to her assumptions. Her assumption is, I have shame, I have sin, uh, I've made choices that create shame from, from sinning, and Jesus challenges her assumption, and her assumption was, I can't relate to God. The assumptions of the people, I can't, shit, this woman can't relate to God because of her sin and her shame, and Jesus challenged that, and Jesus corrected that. She said, he said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? He's challenging her assumption that, 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 she, that she's condemned and she should be living in her shame and that she can't connect with God and she can't live a new life. And the assumptions of, of because I am who I am, I'm, I am who my shame tells me I am, I don't, I don't have the potential to live life in God. And then, and then she answers and she goes, well, no one, sir. And then Jesus, the Son of God, who she knows is holy, and there's something different about him. She's everything. He is everything that she, she feels inside that she can't connect with because of her same. And then that person says, I don't condemn you either. <laughs> there goes her shame. So he extends grace which dignifies her and infuses her with love and worth and casts away her shame and lack of worth. Neither do I condemn you. And then he says, go now and leave your life of sin. So he gives her grace. It infuses her with worth, which displaces her shame. And then he gives her truth. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. His grace dignifies her with worth. The truth, which is okay, stop living in shame, go now, today, and leave that life that you used to live, right? And so grace dignifies and truth directs her and holds her accountable. And now she's on the road to developing a life without shame. You see how shame connected to our past can be an obstacle to encountering the love and grace of Jesus, the love and truth of Jesus. Both are truth. I mean, both are love. Grace is love and truth is love. Jesus is loving this woman out of her shame through grace and truth. But she has assumptions, and this is the, the huge thing, in her head that prevent God's love from going to her heart. And they're connected to her, her past and her attachment of self-worth uh, to the shame connected to her past and the sin. And so Jesus just explodes in it. And I love this vignette. You know, So in the first vignette, it's just like, hey, Martha, you know what? Your priorities are out of whack. You can't connect with me in a hurry, so you can't experience the fullness of my person and my presence and my love. In this vignette, he's, he's connecting to someone who has a lot of guilt and shame, and, and Jesus is blowing it up with what? Grace, neither do I condemn you, and truth. Infusing her with worth and then holding her accountable to, to a choice that she needs to make. It's like, okay, so leave that stuff, right? Don't stay in it. Don't stay in the shame and sin. You can leave it now because I've delivered you. My love has delivered you from that, and you can go now start living your life. I know that I'm speaking to some guys out there. And you have a lot of shame inside connected to porn. You have a lot of shame inside connected to sleeping around. You have a lot of shame connected to private sin. Some of you listening to me right now, you've been abusive to people in your life, in the past, or maybe, you, maybe you've been incarcerated and you have this black cloud that, that follows you around. And I wanna speak into that. And I want to say the words of Jesus to you right now. Man, where are your accusers? Well, I wanna tell you that 
Jesus says right now to you, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave that life. God's love displaces shame and it replaces it with worth. You are worthy of a new life. You are worthy of a new chapter. God sees you. God sees your potential. And he wants you to get over the shame connected to your past. So that's the second obstacle. And there's a lot of men right now that are getting delivered right now from shame connected to their past, not through my words, but through the words of Jesus. When he says to them right now, neither do I condemn you. Go now, right? Today, today is the day. Go now and leave that life and stop living in shame and stop, start living in my love. The third obstacle that can get in the way of experiencing God's love is the obstacle of fear connected to my lack of trust. Now, the disciples, uh, who were the closest friends and followers of Jesus, they really struggled with, uh, with fear when Jesus was present in their lives physically. So he was present, of course, physically. He was present spiritually. His love was present physically and spiritually. And they still struggled with fear, even though entrusting uh, him, even though Jesus was present physically. Now, now, Jesus, if you're a man of God and you're, if you're a Christian, uh, we read earlier in today's session where God has poured the love of Christ into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So we have a spiritual connection to God's love. They had him physically. And here's a situation in Mark 4, one of many, where their fears get the best of them. Uh, it's when they're in the boat, he said, let's go to the other side. Men left the shore. Uh, in Mark 4.35, they get into the boat. And, uh, and the guys that got in the boat are questioning their decision. At this moment, beginning in verse 37, a furious squall, I mean, just a line of horrible weather just hit them like a ton of bricks, came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. You know, fear uh, is universal. That, that's a human thing. We live in a broken culture as broken people on a broken planet with broken emotions and we're prone to and subject to fear. Right? But the presence of God and the presence of his love for us and the presence of his power hits our fear no matter what's happening in our circumstances. But, you know, they, the disciples, they, they're getting afraid. That's normal. But you know what they did is they, they stopped trusting that God cared for them. And, you know, it wasn't the fear that that got Jesus upset because after this little situation when he calms down uh, the storm, he says, oh, you of little faith. The fear is not what upsets Jesus, but their accusation that, man, you, you just don't care about us. You're with us, but you don't care about us. Whoa. See how their lack of trust in God's love the, the, and the fear connected to that lack of trust uh, got in the way of them experiencing the power and protection, loving protection of, of God. And I know that there are guys watching, you know, right now. And you're going through painful stuff. Everybody does. Jesus said we would. Uh, but we can't make the mistake of thinking that God doesn't love us or he doesn't care for us in the middle of our, of our pain. And how do we know that? Because of the gospel. When Jesus was being tortured, God was loving us. And he was redeeming that pain and torture through his power and by his love to save us and redeem us and forgive us and give us a future in heaven. So that's how we know that our pain doesn't preclude God caring for us. But we have to watch out for the fear that somehow God has stopped caring for me in the middle of pain. Um, God was caring for us in pain when Jesus was hanging on that cross. God's caring for you in your pain. His care is not affected by your circumstances. His love is not affected 
by your sternum is just as present now as it was when things were going great, before the pain started. But there can be a fear that God just stopped caring about us, and that fear breeds lack of trust. And that can be an obstacle uh, for us experiencing God's love when we need it the most, which is when we're under pressure and in pain and in trial. So I just want to tell those of you who are in a storm to head for the eye. And the eye of the storm is God's love. Are you still in a storm? Yes, you are. But God's love should calm down your spirit and give you peace. All right, that's the third obstacle. So the first obstacle is hurry. The second is shame connected to our past. The third obstacle is fear connected to my lack of trust. The fourth obstacle, before we get to the keys of unlocking God's love, the fourth obstacle is the obstacle of pride connected to my belief in myself. Now, let me be clear. I'm not talking about personal confidence, all right? It's good to be confident. It's good to, when you have a set of skills or experience, to be confident and to believe in yourself. I'm not talking about personal confidence. I'm talking about arrogance, all right? And the core message of arrogance that we tell ourselves and the core message that we send to God, and it's this. I know better. I know better than you. And that can be an obstacle. No, not it can be. It is a massive obstacle to you experiencing God's love. I want to read a passage from Scripture from John chapter 9, and I want to see if you can spot the arrogance here that prevents these quote-unquote men of God from connecting with Jesus and what he has to offer them. Um, this is uh, The context of this is the healing of the blind man, the investigation by religious men into the healing. And because Jesus in love did the healing, these investigators just kind of want to throw out the blind man. They don't want to hear his testimony. They don't want to be told the truth. And uh, in the process, their arrogance is causing them to miss Jesus. So we pick up the, the story in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him, the blind man, out, right? And when he found him, he said to the blind man who was healed, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him, <laughs> new eyes. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment... I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim, you can see your guilt remains. Did you catch that? So Jesus heals the blind man, and these Pharisees excommunicate him because they don't want to hear his testimony of, I was blind and now I see, and isn't it plain to you? Ask my mom and dad. I was blind. I met this guy, Jesus. He healed me. I can see. And then Jesus goes to him when he's kind of excommunicated from this community, and he, he finds him, and he tells him who he is. And this awesome relationship comes, and the guy had no trouble admitting his blindness because he was blind physically, but now he's not blind spiritually. Now his eyes are opened on the inner man. The person talking to you is him, and, and he worships Jesus and begins a relationship with Jesus. And, and then Jesus talks about how, okay, this is what's going to happen. People who, are, who think they can see who have insight into God, people who assume in their pride that they figured God out, um, they're going to become blind. And then the people who, you, the last people you would think, they're going to see spiritually and they're going to come alive spiritually. And when you read Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees, and when he says that, and they just said, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin, but now that you claim that you can see your guilt 
remains. See their pride connected to their belief and their way they completely missed God. They, their, their pride was a barrier. Their religiosity fueled their pride. Their per religious performance fueled their pride. Their, their attitude fueled their pride. And what was noticeably missing was humility. The blind man confessed his blindness and Jesus healed him physically. And then the blind man humbly says, who is this person? You know, who, who is, who's the Lord? You know, tell me that I can believe in him humbly. And he has this amazing encounter with Jesus. Not the Pharisees. They don't have an amazing encounter in Jesus. Why? Because of their attitude, right? Pride connected to their belief in their themselves. But then the blind man, humility, amazing. So do you see how pride and humility can can either accelerate your experience with God's love or it can totally cut you off and make you blind to Jesus. Now, now pride is just simply, you know, I, I know better. That's the message of pride. I don't have to humble myself. I know how this goes. Um, and you know what pride does is it basically makes you God. You know, there's Jesus, he's God in the flesh. They feel like they know better and they're actually mocking him to, to his face. Just like, what, what, are we blind, you know? To, and then Jesus says, yeah, you are. He goes, you know what, the guy who was blind, he sees now on the inner man, but because of your pride on the inside, you remain blind spiritually on the inside. You can't connect with my love. So that's the, the final obstacle. So those are the obstacles, right? Hurry connected to misplaced priorities, right? Shame connected to my past, fear connected to my lack of trust, and pride connected to my belief in myself. Again, arrogance, right? In James 4, 6, it says this, but he gives more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Anytime we believe we know better than God, we cut off the love of God. That's just the bottom line. Why? Because we have taken his place. That's what pride does. So that's the last obstacle. Now, let's look at this last part, and we'll, we'll close it up, where we're going to talk about unlocking God's love in my life and what that involves. Like, let's, let's break open the floodgate between this and this. I want a full experience and shift uh, inside my spirit and emotionally because of God's love. So we're going to look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, and it, it gives us the key, uh, three keys to unlocking God's love in your life. It says this, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And we, so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Boy, there's the complete picture for the man of God. Anyone who acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, is that you, all right? If that's you, God lives in you, all right? Now we gotta start unlocking this and this and there needs to be a free flow of what I know to how I live and it says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. So we see three key words we're going to unpack. 1 John 5, 15 and 16, which gives us the three keys to experiencing more of God's love in your life. And the first key uh, to successful head-to-heart victory is new, keyword, new knowing of his love. You see, God is love and God is infinite, which means he has an infinite and ever-expanding amount of love for you to know and experience. In fact, we'll, we'll spend forever getting more and more and more and more and more, why not, and more familiar with God's love on a personal level. You can't exhaust it. But you know, there are a lot of Christians who walk around like they have. Oh yeah, yeah, I know God loves me. Like, God's love is a finite, limited thing that they can, you know, exhaust that experience and move on to, to other kinds of meaning and fulfillment and, and love. Well, that's just a lie, right? Because God's love is infinite. 
in the Bible, uh, it talks about uh, how we experience that in a new way. It says this in John 16, 27. This is Jesus talking. It says, the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. So if you start at the back, if you believe that Jesus came from God, that he's the God-man, and you love who God sent, then guess what you get? You get more of God loving you. And I, I like to think about this in, um, in terms of just being a parent, um, where, you know, you, anytime anyone loves who I love, I love them. So I have three kids. I think they're awesome. But when people love my kids, I love that person. <laughs> you love my kids, I love you, all right? You love them, I love you because I'm the father. You know, that's what, that's what the Bible says here. There's, there's new knowing of God's love as we believe in Jesus and as we love Jesus more. The Father loves us more. Why? Because we're loving Jesus more. And so you see the key uh, to new knowing of his love is new believing, new trusting, and new acting on that belief. Because beliefs are actions, biblically, right? If I believe in something, it's going to change my actions. That shows that I truly believe in that. So I believe in Jesus. Jesus is going to change my actions, right? And my action of believing in Jesus is loving what he loves and hating what he hates. And as I do that, God's love, more and more as I do that, God's love floods into my life. So there needs to be some new knowing of his love. So what does that mean for me practically, all right? Believe what Jesus says, more, right? Act on what you believe. Let your belief in Jesus and your love for him express itself in new behaviors. And as you do that, man, the Father sees that, you believing in Jesus and loving him, and then guess what? He's loving you more because you're loving Jesus through believing in him, all right? It's a cool, tight circle of experiencing more of God's love. So there's a new knowing, right? And so we know the love God has for us. But then in that passage in 1 John, it says, and rely on the love uh, God has for us. So there's new relying on his love. It talks about this. In John chapter 15, Jesus talks about remaining and relying on his love. What does that look like? It says this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. How do you do that? Next sentence. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I kept the Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Do you see how keeping God's commands is synonymous with relying on his love and remaining in his love? So there's my way and there's God's way. There's me loving Jesus uh, and me listening to Jesus and me relying on what Jesus says. And as I rely on what Jesus says, his commands, his directions, right? His promises. Um, the Father, again, there's this tight little circle where I'm keeping God's commands. I'm relying on God's love as I keep his commands. I'm remaining in his love. And then I get more love, filling me and giving me the joy inside, right? Jesus says, why am I telling you about this little tight formula, when you rely on me and you remain in my love and you rely on what I say and you obey my commands, man, your joy on the inside goes through the roof like a rocket, all right? It's called the joy of obedience. It's the joy of pleasing someone else, pleasing God, right? Just think about when your kids show a love for your priorities and they, they live them out because they believe in them, right? They show a love to your, your directions, your your kind of house rules or because they love you and they want to please you and then they please you and then you're pleased with them. So there's new knowing of God's love and then a new relying on God's love. We get that out of 1 John 5, 15 and 16. And then I love how the, the passage in 1 John, it finishes with not only do we know God's love and we rely on the love God has for us, but it says this, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So there's new living 
in his love. New knowing, new relying, new living. In the Bible, it says this in John 13, 34 and 35 about living in love. A new command, Jesus says, I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So there's the living part. Right? You'll never lose by loving people more the way God has loved you. Unconditionally, graciously, truthfully. And as you live in that love, you give it away. And then guess what? You get to experience more of that love as you give it away. You know? Man, this world right now needs the love of God. How's it going to experience it? It's going to experience it through you, man of God. You taking the time. So as you're knowing and becoming more familiar with the love of God, and as you become more familiar with it, you trust it more, and you're relying on it, means that you're doing what God says. That's what Jesus said is relying on the love of God. We listen to God, and listening is loving. And as we do that, we begin to live in love, and then we're filled. There's a shift inside of us emotionally, and then it just starts spilling out of us, starts leaking out of us. It just starts overflowing out of us onto the people around us. Isn't that the life that, that you want to live? So um, the power that of Christ dwelling in you, the power of you grasping and sensing and knowing his love, there's a purpose for that power, and it's to change your world forever, change you forever, change your world forever, change your relationships forever. But don't let those obstacles, all right? You gotta battle, you gotta fight, um, hurry. You gotta let God's love heal you from the shame. You gotta fight. That, that fear that somehow God doesn't care for you because you're going through a hard time and then you stop trusting him, all right? You gotta fight pride, stay humble. And the way to stay humble is to stay grateful, all right? And then lean in, all right? God lives in you and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in God lives in love and God in them. Let's pray. God, thank you for this series. Thank you that our journey in life as men really reflects our inner journey and what's going on on our insides. And so, Jesus, we open the door of our hearts this morning. We invite you into our lives afresh again. We want you to dwell in us. We want your love to fill us, your unconditional acceptance and love we want it to secure us and fill us. And Lord, we want your love to go everywhere inside of us and just heal the sick parts. That your love would attach to the sick parts and that it would infuse that sick part with your powerful love and, and that the sickness would be exploded. And that unhealth would leave our lives and our spirit and it would be replaced with your power, God. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for cleaning us out from the inside out. Thank you for getting rid of the inner junk by cleansing us. Lord, we, we renew our commitment to truth and to, we repent of, of the things that, that we know displease you. And now, God, we're moving on, Lord. So we accept the inner changes your love wants to do in us to bring us into maturity, out of immaturity. Lord, we rebuke the hacker of our soul in Jesus' name. You will not corrupt God's love within us, within me. And then, Lord, we, we thank you that you're unlocking uh, love that has been stuck, perhaps, in our heads. And... It's being unleashed. The floodgate is open. Lord, we, we open right now in faith the floodgate of our spirit and ask for your love to cascade 
fully inside of us. We want that inexpressible and glorious joy, Lord. So help us know your love more in new ways. Help us to rely on your love in new ways. Trust you, what you say. And then help us to live in your love as you live in us. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's men said, amen. We're going to be starting a new series next week. I want you to invite a friend. It's going to be called The Force of Habit and how the habits we develop become forces in our lives and God has a purpose for the habits and lifestyle that you develop. We'll see you next week. Invite a friend.